You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And hello there everyone, you're listening to 3CR 855 on your radio dial. 3CR, your only radio left. The station built with donations from you and your friends and comrades. It's time for Left After Breakfast here on this. Oh, it's still a lovely, it's a lovely Melbourne winter's morning this morning. Just as, as we swing back towards the sun. And we've got an extra two minutes in the day today than we had yesterday, so that's a good thought. Lovely, fresh wind out there. Not from Antarctica, just from the cold seas instead. But here, here on Left After Breakfast, we have Susanna Duffy with you again. After God, how many years? And our resident historian and co-host from CoHealth, Glenn uh, his and her story and our story and good morning, Glenn. Hello, Susanna. How many years? Goodness, I mean, I've been, I've been a few on this program since '94, and I've appeared on here at Three Stars since '83, and that's um, that's one of the joys of history. And history is our segue to the past, and by having your show going and by having a segue on your show, we can discuss history and how long ago and what happened where. Can I say something quickly about history? You can think slowly. Something that's sort of trivial about. History, history, Please proceed. Really. No, I had uh, some difficulty sleeping last night. With I have an aching jaw. My mouth is under construction at the moment, mm. and so I got up and instead of whinging, I got up and kindly asked the cat to move from his seat on my couch, and I watched Blade Runner. Good lord, there's a blast in the past. Nineteen eighty-five, that film was made, and 85. it's just as good now as it was then. Bob Hawke was prime minister. No. Jeb Bialki was a premier of Queensland. No, don't, don't, don't you worry about that. Ronald you worry Reagan about that. was the president of the US. Yeah, that's Reagan. No, well, that's that, history. Yeah, but that watching that um, watching that film um, thirty or thirty-two years later. It's just as, well, it's, the question is still there. What is it that defines a human being? What makes us human? And you know, how can you say that's a human and that's not a human? Now, Philip mm. K. Dick, who wrote that uh, mm-hmm. science fantasy novel, he wrote that in 1968, and I read that in 69. Mm-hmm. And I was struck then by that same question, what makes us human? And it very quickly came uh, to play a big role in my mind when we were bombing the shitter out of the people of Vietnam, you know, because they weren't actually human. We were human, they weren't. That thing is still there. What makes us human? What makes us worthwhile? And what's happened in the world since then? Nothing. We've just become more and more. There are still people who think they're more human than others. Well, one of the key facts that separates humans from animals is the development of our hands. I mean, the human hands can labour, human hands can make things. And you look at, look at the, here we go, careful my wording, the lesser forms of life. The lesser forms of life, Hansen. 
Well, but oh, sorry, I'm but sorry. lesser forms of life have, have like claws and paws. Whereas human development have hands. They can make tools. They can the thumb. The thumb the is the key. Thumbs, the yeah. thumb is the key, and that was one of the big change between animals and humans. And there's there's more than just that to define humans. I mean, the ability to reason, to conceptualise, they're all factors that contribute to being a human. But we we still think we still have an idea that some people are not as human as we are. And sadly, those ideas have permeated all societies since the, since the beginning of recorded time. That dreadful fire that was in London mm. last week, yeah. and finally, after God knows how much pressure and an outrage, full on anger from many many people, many many humans across mm. London, across the rest of England, across the world, really. Mm. But uh, the Greater London, London Council took over sixty-eight empty flats in a so-called luxury yeah, block yeah. of flats, and that they weren't so-called luxury flats. These are the oh, affordable yeah. flats. These are uh, are only between three hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand pounds. I thought they made it two million pounds. Some of those flats. Some of those flats were that they the luxury flats. Two mm. million pounds. That's four million dollars. Listener, four oh, million yes. dollars. Three hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand pounds is probably about the price of a home in, in Melbourne, but not something that any state government's going to buy for people on, um, well, people from the commission housing, as they're called, well, here, move been, them into there. You look at the public-private partnership situation. I mean, um, there's an article recently in The Age, Kate Shaw from Melbourne Union did some research about how, you know, we have new public-private development in Carlton, and... Um, it was like a social apartheid. Yes, there was public housing and private yeah. housing, but the private housing had, had parklands and yes. pools and stuff and courtyards. It was the public housing was sort of – it was an addendum. And um, there's nine further estates across Melbourne being redeveloped in public-private partnerships. And um, it'll be the same sort of social apartheid where they're, they're divided. Yes, they're similar. They're close by, but the private ones have all these attributes and resources. Was the public ones like a, a bit of a dumping ground? Well, what the, what, what, what the residents in the uh, inverted commas – Luxury flats in these these blocks in London mm. are absolutely incensed beyond you know reason. They've got these people. Mm. They've got these people Riff moving rough. in in flats near them in a Lowering block of flats next values. to them, and they have sworn that these people will not be allowed to use the amenities, i.e., the pools, the gym, the tennis courts, mm. the childcare centres. They will not have access because they breathe the same air. I don't think they can really stop them breathing the same air unless okay. they take very drastic steps. Okay, I mean, there are boundaries. But there you are again. There's the same, you know, these are these people, these people living in these million and two million dollar homes in in London mm. who have so much compassion for the poor people after that dreadful, dreadful horror in the fires. Mm. But God forbid they should have to live next but door look to at, them. Um, look at the old working class communities around in Melbourne like Fitzroy, Collingwood, Richmond. Even back where I grew up in the western suburbs and um, Maidstone, Braybrook, Yarraville, house prices are millions there. And it's parts of Fitzroy and Collingwood that are like gated, old factories of gated communities. There are. Where's the old sense like, of community gone? Like, in the, old, in the old days, you know, the local community would gather at the pub and stuff, you know, the local footy club was part of the community. That sense of community is all changed now. Maybe there's a new form of community. Those old communities are gone and um, those working class areas have been reclaimed and, and the word is gentrified. They've changed and that's it's what's happened. Um, yes, housing is um, interesting. I'm surprised the housing bubble in Australia 
still hasn't burst. We've heard that housing bubbles in the US and Ireland and other places burst, and the industry for house prices remain quite inflated. And um, look, housing to me should be primarily viewed for its use value, not its exchange value. But well, you're a mad socialist, Glenn. Yeah, I am a mad socialist. But sadly, the exchange value is the key here, not the use value. So you boost the prices up to invest in, rubbing people a roof over yeah, their heads. That's so, right. It's, that's one of those many contradictions of our system. Yes, another uh, thing of neoliberalism gone crazy. No, and I wouldn't say that. Pudding, it's, it's, it's capitalism. And they're putting a profit before people. It's capitalism. It's not neoliberalism. It's, that's a, that's a, a stage of capitalism. It's capitalism. Let's, let's call it what it is. No, it's not something, you know, ethereal. Profit before people because yeah. some people's lives are worth less than others. Right. Some people are less human than others. Yeah. This is the thinking. This that's is why the I mindset. said I was really thrilled to watch again. I've, I've had that... Uh, Video sitting on my in my uh, lounge room since 1986 or something. Now I've had a disc sitting in there for 10 years, mm. and I finally got to watch it. I had to break open the seal. But again, but if you get a chance, listener, have a look again at Blade Runner uh, or to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. As I said before, you know what's happened now is the, the, the sort of value. I mean, the issue now is the exchange value, not the use value. Houses I'm built to house people; they're built to sell and make money on, and the use value is the primary. So this is a, a situation. It's contemporary capitalism. Now I said earlier, history is a segue to the past. Um, we come up with a famous anniversary in Australian history, one of those iconic events, which is a long time ago. The week, uh, the weekend of, um, oh, it was the last weekend of June in 1880. Long time ago. The last weekend of June in 1880. I'm rolling my eyes around here. It was here. a weekend of a full moon. We'd, and... we'd gone past winter solstice. The new moon had arrived. Events commenced on the evening of Saturday, June 26, 1880. They drew a conclusion on the afternoon of Monday, June 28, 1880. And just one of those, those famous iconic events in Australian history. All right, Glenn. What was it? This is the, the siege of Glen Rowan, the Cali game. Oh, of course, the siege of Glen Rowan. We had the we had the shooting of Aaron Sherratt on the Saturday evening around six thirty p.m., where the the outlaws ride into Glen Rowan, take the town, inverted commas, captive, and just spend a day and a half waiting for police to come to ambush them. And it didn't work that way. And uh, we know in the morning of Monday, June twenty eight, the school teacher warned the police train to slow down. The yeah, tracks been torn up. And uh, there was the exchange of shots for the next 12 hours at Glen Rowan, and the police killed three innocent civilians. Uh, three outlaws were also killed in the process, and um, that was in what was called the Kelly Gang, and it sent into train a series of events such as the, the Police Royal Commission of 1881 to 1883. For 18 months, the Royal Commission met, and they, um, they severely cashed senior officers in Victoria Police, and um, yeah, it's this weekend, 1880, so that's my um, soapbox this morning. Just reminiscing about that days. We sort of forget these sort of dates. These are an iconic date. So, yeah, June 26th to June 28th, 1880. Very famous period in Australian history. So, what was the 28th of June then? That was the Monday when the police finally arrived at Glen Rowan and the, 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 um, the what you call the shootout siege took place. So, that was the shootout? Mm, that was the Monday morning. And um, when Andrew Kelly was wounded, he disappeared. He went through the police lines to warn those armed horsemen to return home. It was they all gone astray. He returned again at 7 a.m., dressed in iron armour. That's background. Dressed in armour to taunt the police to break through police lines to rescue his brother and his friend. And that's that famous moment immortalised of you know, Ned Kelly armoured and clanging on his, on his chest plate with his gun. And um, yes, he was shot down and the police captured him and 
We know the hotel was burnt down. The other three outlaws were killed. And it's um, just to, to me, it's a very iconic day because everyone, everyone knows Nick Kelly. And he means different things, different people. And again, it's um, he's one of the, I suppose, the most clearly defined figure in European Australian history. I suppose he would be. I was just wondering about. I suppose I suppose he would be. Yes, Glenn. I was just wondering about that um, that date. That's my son's birthday on the twenty eighth of June. But I hadn't realised that was that was the day of uh, the shootout. I must remind him. Yeah. Well, again, and as I said, I said in China a series of events. We know he was Ned Kelly was was tried in Melbourne. We know he was hung on that fat pernicious date, November eleven. We know he was buried at Old Melbourne Jail and. Um, Yes, the bones were disinterred back a few years ago, and Nick Kelly's finally been buried in cemetery Greta back in January 2013 in a in a concrete grave. And um, Ned Kelly's skull was stolen in 1978, and there's been a few uh, skulls presented, which has been claimed to be his. They're not Ned Kelly's skull. His skull's been missing for, golly, 37 years. There's different stories where it is, but we know his skull is not for the rest of his body. Well, who would have taken his skull? There's different rumours, different stories. I said a skull was handed in and it was tested and um, whole tests were done and it's not Ned Kelly's skull. Well, how do they know it's not Ned Kelly's skull? They've done DNA plus a whole lot of scientific testing. Yeah, that and, just means it's not... Someone from the Kelly family. But it's not just well, it's not just Ned Kelly's skull. It's anyway, it's a whole lot of tests I don't understand. But uh, his skull is still missing. His body, his rest of his bones are interred at Greta, near his mother, and his brother Jim. But his skull's missing. And um, yeah, it's uh, Ned Kelly again. He just lurches through Australian history as the the most most blatant, most obvious figure of Australia in many ways. I reckon. But I'm just thinking. Poor old Ned. Well, you're better off, Ned. Let you get some peace of mind. Yeah, but poor old Ned, if he hasn't got his head, he, he won't go to heaven. Mind. No, he won't go to heaven. Because you have to have your head, otherwise you're deemed a suicide. Well, according to the Catholics of uh, 1536. Well, his service, there was a requiem mass conducted, so they, they must have forgiven the fact he was headless. It was a, a requiem mass was conducted at Wangaratta, and the body was taken from Wangaratta to Greta Cemetery. It's January 2013, so it's fairly recent. Um, okay, where is Ned's head? Listener, if you have any idea... There were fingers pointed as allegations made. Against as, whom? Oh, it was, it was J.J. McRoach labelled labelled as being the, the person behind it. J.J. McRoach was the head of the, um, was he in charge of hemp to help end marijuana prohibition party? He was he was accused of being maybe involved. And A there was loony t- politician. There was talk for um, the skull was somewhere, was it Carnarvon or Brim or Esperance on the Western Australian coast? Why would it be there? I don't know. There's, look, there's urban... no, I just wonder, mm. why would you take Ned Kelly's skull? I don't know. To stick on your desk, to I... stick on, on your wardrobe. Well, <laughs> it wasn't the first skull used as a... a... As a paperweight. Uh, yes, that's it's true. It's been done before. It's been done before, but you wouldn't, you'd be people coming in, well, you'd be a bit, what about you, listen, you go and have, you know, drop over to have a, a barbie at someone's place and they're in their lounge room or on their kitchen shelf as a skull. Yeah, there's, there's my father watching this, you know. You wouldn't, well, you wouldn't, I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't feel too happy about it, but because now if I ever saw one, I'd say, is that Ned? But 137 years ago, to cut off someone's head and test it for bumps and lumps was the peak of science. Phrenology. Phrenology, the study of the bumps and lumps in the skull to determine the criminal. And it was just, it was part of the course. You, Both you, you and I would be well, in trouble. Clint. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got a few lumps on my head. I've got a few lumps on my head. For me, 
accidents. Oh yeah, but but, again, but those accidents make you a criminal by the bumps on your skull. And again, maybe it was being a criminal that led to having the the accident. Uh, who knows? That led uh, to the trauma. Only the phrenologist can answer that. And uh, phrenology has been practiced, thank goodness, for well, 130 years. They're all dead, aren't they? Were, were their skulls tested? I don't know where their skulls were their skulls stolen. Oh, I don't know. I mean, and again, when they um. They dug up the old Melbourne jail graveyards. I think they found all the skulls beyond two. One was Frederick Deeming, and the other was Ned Kelly. Who's Fred? Uh, he was oh, a, a, another criminal. Poor old Fred. They've got Fred's head. Well, Fred's head and Ned's head have both been tested. For, the, the, the skull presented was tested with all the modern attributes of science, and it's not Ned's head, and it's not Fred's head. So Fred Deeming and Ned Kelly's cadavers are there about their but skulls. skeletons. Skeletons, yes. They're not cadavers anymore, are they, after all this time? No, well, 137 years is a mm, long time. They're definitely skeletons. So, yeah, but... Um, yeah, that we, but wasn't there a, someone that turned up, some dead thing? Sorry. Sorry. Not a person. That turned up in Queensland and they said, this is really Ned, the one who's in the jail, oh, is really his brother. Um, no, there's um, people claim there was Dan Kelly for years. There was Dan Kelly impersonators for quite a while. And Jim Kelly, the surviving brother, always said, you know, bring him to meet me. I'll ask him some questions. And uh, the impersonators refused always to meet Jim Kelly. I mean, shysters have been around since Tommy Memorial, my dear. I suppose they have. But, again, but, 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 but I'm concerned now. I'm concerned now. I really mm-hmm. want to see Ned's head returned. Well, so do, so do millions of Australians. I mean, and who knows? Look, it might be disinterred somewhere close to Greece or Glen Run. We, we don't know. I mean, someone, someone's might or do know, but it's not public knowledge. And um, so someone knows and they're not telling. Well, that, that someone might have taken They might be dead also now. Who say it was a one person who took it who might be also gone? Oh, might be so. Well, we don't know. These are and that's what history is about. History shows facts in history. There's also areas of history that are fluid. Things change. You develop new knowledge. Old knowledge is superseded. It's always moving around. Well, I think I should set up something to find Ned's head. I mean, memories are contested. Different people have different interpretations of memories. And um, it's not about opinions. It's about memories. And um, as I said, a, a Russian figure once said, facts are stubborn things. That gives you the framework of history. And if in the history of his interpretations... Facts are pretty memories. stubborn. They are. They can be, yes. And the fact is, today is, you know, June 23, 2017. You can interpret how you want to interpret it. But the fact is, today is June 23, 2017. There's no dispute that. The fact is, Ned Kelly is dead. How and why he died, you might quibble about. And again, facts are stubborn things. Oh, you're talking about this new, this modern phenomenon. Oh, postmodernism is rubbish. From people, from stupid, oh, stupid, rubbish. ignorant people who say that their opinion is just as important, has as much weight as any scientific no. fact. Have you seen Gibberish. the new textbook that's textbook that's being introduced into USA schools next year? <laughs> the mind boggles. Please tell. Primary school children, whatever they call that group. These Elem- are, the, are they elementary? These are the children that actually, well, elementary, what's it? But the, these are the children that actually go to school. Don't forget that 38% of American <laughs> children don't go to school. Only 38%. Never go to school in their lives. Never, ever go to school. Well, I would have thought the figure was higher, but they've got it down yeah. to... 38% of children attend schools and only for some time, not all the way through. Americans are on the whole uneducated, which explains oh, yeah. so much about them. Absolutely. Explains so much about them. 
I bet they've got this wonderful textbook. Oh, it looks so exciting. It's full of lovely stories for children to learn to read on like Noah and learn how to... And Jonah and the Whale. And how to uh, face life, how they should live in the modern world and how to be... How, how to grow up to be good men and good women. and uh, got Good one, Christian men and, and good Christian got, men. Of course. Is there any other kind? No, there's not. And there's... Especially in USA, but they've Indeed. got wonderful one story which really caught my eye was all about this wonderful man, Noah. Oh, yes, Noah's Ark. Yeah, Noah. And what a brave, and he was a man who stood out and spoke his opinions even though people were against him. You know, <laughs> oh, can, can God, you, do you see the, oh, the yes. American style here? Yes. The individual, the individual. I call it idiocy, anyway. The I'm individual. Listening. And and God tested him all through his life, really, to so that he would grow into this strong man that he was and lead Please. his family, his huge extended family with his what he had two cows, wives two and, sheep, two lambs. No, but two one of the cats. things that he had to do one great trial during his life was when he was in the Roman. Um, well, amphitheatre as oh, a yes. gladiator. He was spent a couple of years as a gladiator, oh, which that. taught him. No, but it's in this. You haven't got the new book. <laughs> I don't know. But, no. one, but he had to fight wild beasts, as you do, which included dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Where's my Where's my tablets? Where Where's my tablets? I can't. I'm having some heart palpitations here. This story. Were they Stegosauruses, Tyrannosaurus Rex, Ty- Allosauruses? No, they were actually uh, the American dinosaur, well, which is the were, Allosaurus. That was an earlier version of Tyrannosaurus. Allosaurus about 40, years, 40 yeah, years earlier. Well, it's the American. Oh, no. The world's only 4,500 years old. Or is it 5,400 uh, years old? Allosaurus has predated Tyrannosaurus by a fair few million years. Well, the Allosaurus is found How many in do, you fight in, do you fight one or two in the... A number. A number. <laughs> One's a number, two's a number. One, Which number do you want to choose? Pick a number between one and nine. Eleven. Oh, <laughs> seven. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it. Please. I need medication here. And this is what the, the children are being given. <laughs> but but I, shouldn't, um, I shouldn't just laugh at American people and their no, abysmal shouldn't. ignorance. We and follow not them. all of them. We follow the Americans. There is the Archbishop um, of Usher in Ireland who, in the 19th century, spent nearly all his life working out when God made the world. Who made the world? God made the did world. He, you, did Why did God make the world? To know us, love us and serve us and be happy. To know him, love him Was and he serve. trying to work out back to a day, the date or the worked, time? But he worked out the date. The date was when, sorry? It was a Friday. That's a day. In the afternoon and it was in September and it was... Uh, well, 5,000 years before 1892, whenever that, or 1882, whenever that was. But okay. it was a Friday mm. and it was in September. Okay. He spent his whole life, this man, his whole life working out when God made the world. Well, don't forget, the Catholic Church is the biggest landowner in the world. The Catholic Church has lots of money. If they want to pay a priest to work out when the world was made, that's their money. An archbishop. And that's right. If they want to pay the archbishop to work so when the world was made. So he didn't do his job. Well, well, that was his job. Their job. He is. was a researcher for the church. He's a researcher, an early day researcher for the church. Oh. He wasn't studying facts and figures. He was studying opinions and <laughs> origins, whatever you might want to say. Good God! And this is from Ireland of all places. When the the black years fell across Europe, when the mm, careful the, which years when Rome fell, when the sort of when people fell in that we had plays and we had we had dreadful tribes of uneducated the people. The Goths and the Visigoths and the Huns. And of, yes, and all of them coming down and 
So there was a great migration of they were it was a refugee crisis, a great thing that happened there, and it's the weird, it's a strange thing that really happened in the world then. And but sort of civilization was lost, and we forgot things how to make things like roads, um, and flushing yeah. toilets, and we uh, forgot about books, and we forgot how to read because we started leaving short, miserable lives and didn't have time to teach our children to read. They couldn't read, they couldn't teach their children. One part of Europe kept learning alive, Ireland. And, and that was Ireland, yes. where they kept learning alive, and we would not and know they kept writing, about. Yes. We wouldn't know about Plato if not for those Irish men and women yes. in the churches in those, because they had women monks as well as yes. monks, writing, copying them down, travelling across Europe and finding old manuscripts, taking them back yep. and copying them. We know of so many of the old Greek writers, the Roman writers, the old, we know at that from Ireland. Mm. And here's some prick. Sorry, I shouldn't say prick. You know, careful he, he was an arch- Oh, well, he's dead. It doesn't matter. He's not going to sue me. Well, he, maybe you should study his skull and see if he had a bump or bump on it. He's not going to be offended. Um, sitting down and spending more than 30 years of his bloody <laughs> episcopal life <laughs> working out when God made the world. <laughs> oh, oh, look. It's a, it's a bloody <laughs> worry. But what's Dinosaurs and now in the in the auditorium. <laughs> I'm befuddled. I shouldn't be befuddled. Um, but as we know, the American president, too pride of a current one, called the Greek people the Grecians. I mean... Did he really? Yeah, they asked George W. Bush. Uh, it was a pre-election question process. And um, what do you call the people of Greece? He said the Grecians. <laughs> And he became president for two terms. Dye, isn't it? Yeah, but he became president for two terms. This is the this is the capacity of American the American well, he ruling class. He wasn't educated. He went to college. He avoided the draft. He didn't go into the armed forces. He 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 was a what you call in American terms a draft dodger. He, he may have attended college, or he may have been okay, enrolled. More to the point, in the college, but he certainly received no passing out. He didn't finish his well, you know. Yeah, but you can go to college and be as dumb as dog shit. You know, it doesn't mean because you're educated, it doesn't mean you was the sharpest knife in the drawer. Well, I, I really, I, I'm quite taken aback by that. I mean, I mean, how do you think that makes me feel, Glenn? When I spent all those years, I spent twelve years being taught by very well educated nuns with mm-hmm. at least two degrees yeah. teaching me, and I spent all those years slogging away at university and learning things. Yeah. And now you tell me that you can go there and you still be as dumb as whatever that uh, word was well, you said, we, which I won't repeat because it's not ladylike. We have a Rhodes Scholar who was the PM, who to me is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But, yeah, well, he became a Rhodes Scholar because he was a good drinker, wasn't he? A good boxer. The, 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 no, there was another one. Yeah, that's what I mean, the most recent Prime Minister, Mr. Oh, Rabbit. him. But again, is he the sharpest knife in the drawer you've encountered? He might have a, he might have a title, but that means he's the sharpest knife in the drawer. So I'm just saying... get a Rhodes Scholarship? But, uh, oh, I should have looked this up when I was... Well, that can be your task for next Friday's show. How do you obtain a Rhodes Scholarship? We've had two PMs, Mr. Hawk, Mr. Rabbit, but Rhodes Scholars. Mr. Well, Magoo wasn't. No. Well, that's fairly obvious. I mean, he did his intermediate and that was it, wasn't and it? And was Mr. Hughes. But that was different. They were different times. Hughes was a little man of the little people. I shouldn't say little man. Mr. Menzies was a, a barrister, but he wasn't a Rhodes Scholar. Mr. Menzies was a good friend of Mr. Hitler's. So he spoke highly Mr. Hitler. Oh, yes, indeed he did, Mr. Menzies. I will not have people... Tell me that Menzies was a good Prime Minister. He was a dreadful, dreadful man. He and hated a dreadful, Australia. Dreadful Prime Minister. Yep. 
And there is a word for the ideology he liked, just as there is a word for that ideology that Senator Hansen takes up where she believes that people with any sort of disability should be separated from others. Let's start them off young. Okay, well, let's, before we get to Senator Hanson, I need to remind oh, people, we've sake. had our Radiothon listener. Thank you for all the listeners, like Albie, who have rang in and pledged money to help the 3CR stay afloat. So you've made your pledges now. Please come along and pay us the money to keep 3CR your only radio left. You can hear Susanna Duffy's Left After Breakfast. I have a wondrous show on 3CR. So thank you, and please give us your money, because we need yes, your support. That's people, and I have a number of people that I have to... Follow up myself. Um, I've been, oh, I just, I've been stressed and fretting lately, stuff. And, and then the radiothon comes on top, and then the world, the world is in such a state. But of course, when I need, we all need three CR because we of the do. dreadful state the world's in. Three CR is your only voice of the people. So please, if you pledge money, make your donations for us at three CR. And until I return next Friday on Susanna Duffy's Left After Breakfast, what more can I say? Ben Chocula. Chocular. Yes, I love that chocular. You'd have to remind people what it means again. Our then. day will come. From every corner of the world, they came from all around. When in 1851, they struck gold upon the ground. Every voyage was a long one, months upon the stormy sea. Some to seek their fortune, others escaping slavery. What they found on the gold fields was ruled by brutish thugs, discrimination and taxation mixed with swinging billy clubs. The gold was getting scarcer and cops were getting worse. The diggers burned their licenses and vowed to end this curse. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From twenty different nations they gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the southern sun The crown tried to divide them, giving preference to some The diggers wouldn't have it, they said it's all of us or none They built a stockade while the redcoats massed nearby And they heard the miners shouting we're ready now to die The rebel miners waited For whatever lay in store And on one December morning In 1854 The redcoats attacked the camp Dozens there would fall Amongst these brave gold diggers Who'd risen to the call They swore an oath Beneath the Southern Cross They'd stand together And break the license laws from twenty different nations they gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the southern sun The army thought it was over and things go their way but when 15,000 miners rallied a month later on the day The Crown conceded everything, all of their demands They'd won an end to license fees, the right to vote and land So here's to Joe and Charlie, Waller and the rest 
They drew the battle lines and put crown rule to the test. The diggers may have lost the battle, but they quickly won the day. And those shots fired in Victoria were heard 10,000 miles away. They swore an oath they beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From 20 different nations, they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the southern sun. They swore an oath beneath the southern cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From 20 different nations, they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the southern sun. Well, my word. Well, my word. The Eureka, yes, indeed. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross, and I still remember that oath. Do you, do you remember the oath bag man beneath the Southern Cross? Not really, Susan. Uh, the only thing I ever learnt by rote was the catechism, and you'd be fairly familiar with the catechism. I, I, I already went through the first two, two questions of it this morning. It's one of the few books that I've ever read, the catechism, because it was forced on you. And the ragged trousered philanthropist. That wasn't forced on you. No, oh, no, absolutely not. And uh, would uh, gladly read it again uh, today or tomorrow. <clears throat> well, the Eureka Oath is we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and defend our rights and liberties. And it's a bloody good oath to take. I've actually got a T-shirt uh, put out by the CFMEU, and I work for them, uh, that's, that has that uh, oath written on the back. Well, most evenings, you know, late evenings of the week, when I, when, I go, when I go outside in my backyard, I can see the Southern Cross quite clearly. It's, I've got a good patch of sky I can see, it and, I, and I always say, I swear by the Southern Cross. You know, and I always oh, yeah. make my oath. And you're out, out in the backyard by yourself saying yes. this, were you? Looking yeah. up in the sky. Yes, oh, looking God. up at the beautiful Southern Cross. D- d- don't you miss it when you're in another part of the world? Back I can there. never find the Southern Cross, it's so really even when I'm in the, that fantastic gold mining town of Tolbert up near Maryborough so and Clunes. It's, it's so clear. Well, I've... It's just never been pointed out to me, and each, oh, each well. time I look for it, I can't see it. But it doesn't mean I don't stand by that uh, same oath. Yes, I know. Of it because I am a descendant of Eureka. Oh, are you? Oh, you know I am. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm sitting here with someone famous. Well, not me, but my... Your my, descendants. My, my antecedents. Antecedents. I'm the descendant, but my antecedents oh, yeah. were there. My great grandmother, whom I knew quite well, Mary Ellen Humphreys, her name was, and uh, I knew, you know, she died when I was 12 and she was pushing the 100, was she 101? I'm uncertain. It was her 101st year. Oh, yeah. you, know, you know, but I knew her quite well. I used to see her every Sunday and she'd tell me stories about growing up here. And around in place, but but my great grandmother was um, so it was the daughter of um, Christopher Humphreys, who was involved in the stockade up there. Oh, Chris Humphreys. Yeah, and she married oh. a fellow named John Irwin, who was the son of a public 
the publican of the Irwin Hotel, strangely enough, which is where uh, many meetings and things were held behind closed doors. They were um, Fabians, really. Oh, really? Sort of Christian socialist types. Oh, right. They that, not so- what you'd call like a revolutionary. Hmm. Not what you'd call the lunatic <clears throat> fringe. I often wonder what a Fabian was. Now I know. They were anyway. They, they were Christian revolutionary. Christian socialists. Oh, Christian socialists. Well, they believed in sort of a bit of a fair go, a bit like Malcolm Fraser, really. Got to be a bit careful. All this stuff goes in your head and it stays there, and yes. uh, eventually your head becomes full of shit. Yeah, anyway. Dear me, bad man. <laughs> Once again, how do you think that makes me feel? I never uh, considered your... Precisely. I never considered your feelings there. And, and we should say, uh, Susan, that unfortunately uh, Irene Bolger is not here this morning. She's appearing at 10 o'clock in doing the full moon. She's doing, doing a job. her job. She has a couple of casual jobs uh, that supplement her pension. Uh, her meagre pension, I might add. I know how much the pension is. It's the same as mine. Mm. Mine, actually, she's got a few dollars more because she's not paying back um, overpayments. Oh, right. Well, whose fault's that? <laughs> it wasn't mine. <laughs> well, I've been paying it back for 24 bloody years or something. It doesn't oh, right. matter. At least they didn't take the whole lot. Like they would now. Well, you're very lucky. Anyway, talking about politics and talking about politicians, a trio of uh, Turnbull government ministers are apparently going to appear before the Supreme Court this morning. So they are going. Willing to apologise, cap in hand, looking very sheepish. Uh, they refused to apologise last week. They said they regretted uh, their comments but refused to apologise. Well, someone... A good lawyer must have had a, a word in their ear because even though these three wokes are lawyers... Yeah, but they've, they've only studied it. They've never practised it. They've gone into politics instead. Well, it doesn't matter. Once you practise law, you've got to know something about it. Oh, they've forgotten it. Oh, God. Like, like I've forgotten my my bloody... Your well, Latin. my geometry for Your Latin. Anyway, anyway, they're appearing this morning, uh, very sheepish, uh, cap in hand, and they're going to apologise. And the only reason they are going to apologise is because they were about to be slapped with a massive fine and a jail term. If and they lose their seat. And lose their Let's seat. Let's hope, in fingers and toes crossed here, all, all di- digits crossed, well, that one of them spits the dummy and doesn't apologise and the other two follow. Well, it's up to the uh, Supreme Court judges as to whether they accept the apology. If they didn't give it last week, why would they accept it? This week, and how do we say? Oh, I regret saying yeah. that. I regret. Oh, gee, Can you I'm imagine s- you getting away with that? Oh, look, many times I've stood in that witness box, Susan, and uh, I've got away with a lot of things. But uh, here's three blokes that are going to cop the same thing that uh, I've had to put up with all my life. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, that's the way it goes, you know. You know, I've often thought, strange. I often think about suppose. This is a fantasy sort of scenario. Mars, and a Martian uh, anthropologist. Now, there couldn't be a Martian anthropologist. Why not? But, but someone from Mars who oh, yes. studies... Um, a Martian. Yes, a Martian. Yeah, not, huh? not a Grecian. A Martian who studies um, 
you know, peoples and societies and things. And I've, I've often thought, I've often, I've made many comments at times about what a margin uh, would make looking at us and like the way we deal with cars or the way we, way we deal with climate change or something and and how and how our, how our societies are run. And I've always thought a margin would probably look at my house and say this household is run by a small black-furred creature and with a servant. Oh, that's me, you know, and then they would assume that that's the way that cats have always ruled the world because, you know, cats were once God's bag man. Oh, my God. And they've never forgotten it. Mm. No, but if a margin looked down now at Australia, they'd really think of Australians that little, Australia's that little small island just off the coast of England. Or is it just off the coast of USA? Or maybe it's in between in the Atlantic Ocean there. Because that seems to be who we are. Some little ragtail thing stuck onto Britain and is now stuck onto USA, getting pulled both sides to these great... Like, nothing about who we are. You well, know if, that, there were, if there were any Martian Susan, they'd be shaking both their heads right now. But look, uh, getting on to something not serious, but uh, more or less sickening... Um, and I've got a note from Yvette Schultmeyer, uh, who's well known to this pro- uh, program, and she was talking about uh, uh, Pauline Hanson and mm. her segregation of uh, children who hate, who um, suffer from uh, autism. And uh, she wrote, first she hated the Aboriginals, then we're talking about Pauline Hanson, yeah. then she hated the Asians and then the Muslims, then the drug addicts, sole parents, and now disabled people. She hates you too, Pauline Hanson. Shame. Now, my grandson has got autism. He's on the, in the, He's on in the, the spectrum. spectrum. Mm. Yep, and uh, he attends school in Talbot. Uh, he wins certificates uh, every couple of weeks for the work that he does. He's uh, reading and he's mathematics and whatever. Um, and he shouldn't be segregated from anybody. Um, no, what 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 he gives to the other children ought to be embraced. Yes, of course, not he, not to be separated as some special kind of child that has some illness. So, yeah. shame on you, yeah. Paul, and, and good and for you, shame. and very good of you to point that out, Yvette. Naturally, mm. and. Well, I can say this once when I heard Hanson say that I actually listened and then I read her words. I actually read her words to see what she'd said. And she said, these people, these These people, people, those people, them. They should be separated to make the rest of us feel good. Mm. Well, Well, I could separate her to make the rest of us feel good. But once again, an uneducated, an ill-informed, ignorant, ignorant, bigoted, bloody divisive message from a woman who probably has trouble adding up. She doesn't understand anything about education, she doesn't understand anything about children or children with, um, well, different needs to others. She understands nothing. She won't understand it. She doesn't have the mental capacity to understand it. And I bet you autistic kids all over Australia are saying, Jesus, she shouldn't be there. She should be separated out from Parliament yeah. and and um, stuck in a room of her own. Mm. They should se- segregate redheads, I think. And no, not redheads, please. Oh, just Pauline. You're not redheaded. 
You're blonde-headed. But Why there are you plenty worry? of redheads in Australia. There are 2% of, of Australians who are redheads. Yeah, but we're talking about people in Parliament. We're not well, talking still, about... we're not going to pick on their physical characteristics. Remember, you no, always jump on me, Bagman, when I talk about someone because they're grossly... F- when I talk about that um, <clears throat> great spokesman for the sugar industry, that George Tub of Lard Christensen, you no. always jump on me when no, I say no, that. No, no, He's had an operation. He He's went still to a Malaysia. tub of lard. Well, he's not so much a tub of lard these days. He's a tub of uh, flabby skin, um, like uh, Clive Palmer. Oh, my God. Um, so you can mix them both together, couldn't you? And you'd still end up with lumps <laughs> of lard that, fat you, that you couldn't put down the sink because they'd clog up the drains. Uh, I tell That's you, awful. <laughs> maybe, maybe those two tubs of lard... Or to go to uh, take a holiday in uh, in Bali because Australian tourists are unwittingly eating dog meat in Bali. Oh, isn't that dreadful? Now, well, when you go there with your footy team and you're pissed out of your mind most of the time, and you shit your pants and you, you peed your pants and whatever. It wouldn't matter. Uh, whether you're eating dog or not. Now, I've eaten dog. I ate dog in the Philippines when I was uh, uh, sort of, I won't say training, but I was connected with the New People's Army. And uh, they were hungry, and it was it was on the it was on the menu. And yeah, the dogs you ate dog, are... but you knew it was dog. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, and we're not talking about people's pets here. Oh no, no. I know there's no, we... there's sort of feral animals that one yeah. Day, yeah. Like so, as are the dogs in Bali. Yeah, so as for that matter, are the cats? <laughs> well, the, uh, the cats would be a bit nervous, uh, like a cat yeah. night team roof at the moment, well, uh, because I, they might be next. I, I I have a friend in Bali who's been there since. Um, I've been to Bali too, you know. No, but I, I've been to <laughs> Bali too. I have a friend in Bali who's been there since um, eighty two, and she runs. A what dog. he can't get out? She can't she, get out. Oh, she. She has a dog. Uh, shelter oh, and really? rescue centre, and she's got all these. There's 184 bloody yapping dogs at the Good moment. Honor. The poor woman, and she's kept afloat there by people giving her, you know, five dollars a month. Oh, mugs yeah. like me, yeah. who send her five dollars. Oh, no, I'm not a mug. Sorry, Linda Puller, I take it all back. I'm not a, you know, but uh, she protects dogs and stops them. And she has them um, sterilised. Mm. Well, when I was recently in Turkey, every dog you've seen. Um, out on the street where they were sleeping or hunting for food and whatever, had a tag in their ear, which meant that uh, it was okay from the butcher. They were free of rabies. I wonder what you were going to say there. I also have a friend um, in Cos, on the island of Cos. Oh, really? Yes. When I've told you about this friend before, Mick, 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 Michaela, she has um, a cat rescue centre. Oh, God. She cares for all the cats of Cos and the cats strange of friends. No, I Go out and get a real job. Cats and dogs. dogs. Well, you have a friend that looks after elephants or anything? No, a, I on don't. A large block? No, no, I don't. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I don't. But I'm looking. It's about time we all did something for the elephants. My cat, of course, is a staunch advocate for the big cats, for the jaguar mainly, which is almost extinct, and the tiger. And I tell you how badly the Siberian tigers are going at the moment. They've been wandering around the suburbs of Vladivostok. Really? Yeah, rummaging through people's bloody wheelie bins, mate. You're joking. Because they've lost a lot uh, of their habitat. Are we talking about the port of uh, Vladivostok? Because the port of Vladivostok is a magnificent 
old, run-down... The suburbs. ...derelict, just in the suburbs. Well, I was in the suburbs living with a woman you, called Zena. Did you notice uh, any um, Siberian tigers? I didn't notice tigers? any Siberian well, tigers. Well, it's only in the evenings that you said, the evenings oh, right. and the early mornings, where you were oh. out and you may have been testing the vodka. Well, I would have at been. At those times. Or just oh, sleeping, cuddled up out of, <laughs> from the cold. No, but they're roaming around. I mean, that'd be a bit of a bloody shock. Well, and you yeah. walk out to put Can something in your wheelie bin late at night yeah. and there's a Siberian tiger, tiger going through it. Oh, my God. Well, that huh. shows you how badly the poor buggers are going. They've got people working there. No, and they're not friends of mine. I wish they were working there very hard. Feeding the Siberian Getting tigers. Getting the Siberian tigers. Well, they've got to tranquilise them and drag oh, them right. off and keep them somewhere for three months to check their healthy and they're and tagged let them free again. and they've got geo-located mm-hmm. locating mm-hmm. collars and then they carry them in helicopters miles and miles and they miles. Don't drop them out. And they put them in the mid- They put oh. them down carefully oh, on the ground in the middle of the uh, national state forest. Whoop, whoop, or whatever in Siberia. They, whatever they call whoop, whoop in Siberia. Whoopovsky, whoopovsky. <laughs> whoopovsky, whoopovnik. I know. But my uh, cat, who is, of course, called Vladimir, and the one the Martians think must run my household, he actually pays money every month to it. A Siberian tiger called Vladik, which is his name, Vladimir Vladik. Oh. It's... Don't you pay things out every month, bag man? <laughs> I can't afford to, Susan. Well, I can't afford to either, especially but when you I've got do to, it anyway. When I've got to support my dentist, that's very hard. But no, but I pay money. Um, every, every I always pay money uh, to Fred Hollows, the organisation. Oh, yes, yes, always yes, pay yes. money to Fred Hollows Foundation. I pay a lousy six dollars seventy cents to the Melbourne zoos. Everyone, yes, but that's for my ticket. You spend half your life there, and the photographs I've seen oh, twice but a week. You need you need a hefty pension in order to get into the zoo. So six dollars cost you an arm and a leg. I pay six dollars seventy a month because I've friends got a pass. I've got a pass. My auntie a used to work for the three zoos. Oh, I had a better one than that. I had an auntie that worked on the front gate. Oh, terrific! <laughs> cost me nothing. Yeah, and I was doing that when I was about. Till, till I turn 60. Yes, so I am supporting, um, you know, oh, the zoo, animals at the zoo there. But no, but why, the reason I go to the zoo, listener, is to walk. I walk in safety without fear of Velcro-clad men on bicycles running me down again. Mm. I can't walk along the Merry Creek anymore. Well, you'd, uh, as a woman, you'd have to be very... Um, cautious about walking along the Merry Creek anyway these days. I get what... I, yes, but I've been knocked down three times now really? by bicycle. By Do you reckon cyclists. they might be aiming for you? I reckon they were aiming for me. I reckon they've uh, got three out of three so far. Yeah. <laughs> last three time, times you've been bowled over. Last time, that fella turned his head over his shoulder and called me a, an effing old slag. Really? Yeah. What, what did you object to, the old thing? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did indeed. Oh. <laughs> These are middle-aged men on... Clad in lycra. Yeah. With their testicles and... And their heads <laughs> down the, and they speed along that shared Do walking they? track. And they, they speed aim for you. Like it's the hippodrome or the velodrome or wherever the hell they ride be careful. Bicycles. They might start carrying baseball bats and just ride past you and go plonk. Well, I just need a sharp stick. 
a piece of bamboo just to stick in their bicycle wheels as they go by. That works too. But then, of course, when they came come off, well, I wouldn't be able to run fast enough to get away from them. <laughs> so, but it's still... Well, you'd hope, you'd hope that they'd fracture their skull or something and uh, have to be carted away in the ambulance. Anyway. Oh, well, <laughs> well, I'd... Well, I'd let them lie there and keep on walking and wait for the next person to find them and say, I didn't want to get involved, officer. That's right. Anyway, talking about something serious, the owners of a Brisbane cafe have been fined more than $180,000. Now, listen to that. Cafe. $180,000. A cafe. There must be money in coffee. Oh, so... Um, anyway, uh, and illegally forcing a foreign worker to hand back $18,000 of his wages. Now, apparently the worker um, was paid each week, but then forced. This happened at 7-Eleven, happened at Caltex and other places where you paid your wages, then you have to front the boss and give him half of it back again. Well, anyway, uh, the, this um, cafe owner has been caught and he's been fined $180,000 and uh, has to pay $28,000 in back wages. Good so to know, isn't it? He should put, he this should is happening this everywhere. Well. Every coffee shop, this every restaurant. This is profit over people. It is, this uh, is the whole thinking. Every 7-Eleven store, every Caltex uh, uh, service station that was run by people from other countries and whatever have been exporting their own, and this industry is really criminal. It is. This is what happened to the good old days when people went fruit picking and uh, had to sleep in used car bodies and got paid five bucks a day. Still happened. <laughs> Still happened. What do you make of the gold? Good old days. Those poor workers, remember those poor people from Vietnam who were taken fruit picking by another person from Vietnam Vietnam. who'd been here a few, you know, 20 years longer. Oh, he's learnt the rules. Yeah, and took them all that fruit and wasn't paying them anything at all. Yeah, but he fed them. They were lucky. They They were were lucky lucky ones. They were lucky, and they even had a large tent or something, I believe, for the 30 of them to sleep in. Mm -hmm. And a portaloo. I mean, the luxury, luxury. Luxury portaloo. But then they were found by the police, and we saw pictures of them, poor, bloody poor Vietnamese people who didn't understand English or know what was going on. Uh, handcuffed. Remember, all sitting in a row, handcuffed, poor buckers. That's right. Well, and they weren't the ones who were the crooks. It was their lousy, rotten boss. Well, normally it's uh, if you have one particular ethnic group, they tend to exploit their own. Yeah. Like the Vietnamese exploit oh. the Vietnamese. The Greeks used to do it to the Greeks, probably still do. The Italians against the Italians and whatever. I don't um, think the Greeks and Italians do it anymore. I mean. Oh, you, Greeks and Italians own restaurants and coffee yes, shops. And, and they have for 50 years. Yeah. Well, they used to own fish and chip shops. They now, did too. They were, and they had now the Vietnamese have pushed them out. They used to be in the market too. They did And too. the Chinese people from China in the markets. But they know their veggies, I tell you what, they know their veggies, the they Chinese, do. but they don't know how to make a cup of coffee. No, I know, but uh, I was only thinking the other night, Mum, my mum used to have uh, friends around every Friday night or they used to go from house to house, and mum used to make Kai Si Ming. Remember that? Kai Si Ming. I think your mum's <laughs> Kai Si Ming might, may have been my mum's chop suey. Yeah, could be. Mince meat. Mince meat, big lumps of mince meat. Chopped up cabbage. And a packet of chicken noodle soup. That's it. 
Your mum called the guys in mine called guys, the chop suey. Well, we came from we came from North Melbourne. Oh. We moved to Broadmeadows later. Oh, so you but, were, uh, we were classier. And you we were knew. the Paris end of North Melbourne Can't and the me. Paris end of Broadmeadows, not the ghetto end. We were in Coolaroo. Coolaroo is a train station. I didn't have a train station when I was there, so oh, I well, can then tell it you. Wasn't, so about, are you sure you lived in Coolaroo? I sure did. Oh, it must be, uh, well, Dallas I'm thinking of. That was, well, it could have been Dallas. That was a train station, and then they built houses around it, and then it became a suburb. Mm. Because I, I must admit, I worked at the brewery for a number of years when I was very young, and I lived in Coolaroo. And uh, there, there wasn't a time, and I'm, I don't want to admit too much, there wasn't a time working at the brewery where I would leave the place in a, a sober and articulate state. Um, but I used to get, have to get off the train at Broadie and I have to walk Whoa. all the way to Coolaroo because there wasn't no it's bus fair services hike. and whatever. Now they've got a train station built almost next door to the house I used to oh, stagger well, they, into. You should have every, left it up there. There most. used to be a job at the brewery years ago, still back in the good old days, and the, the, they'd employ um, bloody lairs and jobbos, and that was breaking floored bottles. Oh, yeah. And they sort of had to break these bottles, so they'd throw them at the walls, or they're big bins. But it was actually a job. Where was that? You're not talking about a marine yard like the old bottle No, not no, the In the brewery. In the brewery, it was really? a job. Cause, but they used to employ the, as a, the, the word was, they were bodgies. They used to employ bodgies there. Oh, no, you, used to, you had to be half alcoholic before you ever got a job there. I knew a, a man once. He's dead now. <laughs> He's dead now. But he die of alcohol poisoning? Liver trouble. Who actually was a taster at the brewery oh, yeah. at Swans. Every employee at the brewery was a taster. Ah, oh, right. <laughs> anyway, before Talking of tasting, it's about time we start yeah. making our way. Anyway, before here. we go, a uh, quote uh, from Andrew Walkie. I like uh, Andrew Walkie. The he barley likes you bombing, too. the barley bombing, the Lint Cafe siege would not have happened had John Howard not led us to the Iraq War. Terrorists are here because we're over there because our right. troops are over there. Well, you got to take into account that Howard, um, Bush, and uh, Boyer. Uh, well, ones that started uh, invading other people's countries, and now this is why we have tourism on our doorstep. Anyway, tourism or terrorism? Oh, terrorism, I mean. Come uh, now. Uh, after that, let's go out in the same old way, Susan. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. Uh, see, you're taking Irene's place here. If you don't fight, you'll lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.